If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Most people today in our secularized culture don't think that the Bible makes much sense. Truthfully, many Christians don't really know what to think of it themselves. Oh, they know that they're supposed to respect it and most have some favorite passages or stories. But there are just as many parts of the Bible that they don't understand or they find offensive or they, well, they outright disagree with. And they don't know that much about the Bible or of it. Now, I've been teaching Bible studies for, well, nearly 40 years. And increasingly, I've found that the average self-described Christian in America couldn't find Moses or David or Peter or Paul or the Sermon on the Mount in the Bible without looking them up in an index or Googling them. They're pretty sure that Jesus loved and accepted everyone that he met, except for mean people who were judgmental hypocrites. They feel that most of what the Bible says about the history of the world and mankind is mostly wrong, and at least half of the moral teachings of the Bible they consider to be irrelevant for today. Which is kind of weird if you think about it, because they believe that the main purpose of the Bible is to provide moral teaching, most of which they're pretty sure doesn't apply anymore. And maybe that explains why most Christians mostly ignore the Bible most of the time in any practical way in their day-to-day lives. Most of them haven't picked it up and read any of it in a long time, unless it's one of the readings in the Mass or worship service when they go to church which is increasingly less and less often. And that, I think, at least partially contributes to their misunderstanding and confusion about the Bible. Because most of them only experience it in bite-sized bits, like the miniature versions of candy bars we hand out to trick-or-treaters. It's like trying to grasp what a book, a, a novel, for example, is all about if all you've ever read is random excerpts of it. Or trying to understand a movie if all you've ever seen were 30-second clips in some random order on YouTube. You have no sense of the thing, the, the premise, the plot, who the characters are, and why they matter. Much less how all of the storylines get pulled together in the end. You have impressions formed on a few scenes, but you miss the point of the film. How does it all fit together? And what's the point of it all? Let's begin with a little thought experiment. Because we live in a visual media culture, let's imagine that we've been given unlimited funding to turn the Bible into a movie. Where do we begin? Well, the first thing that we need is a script. In our script, what would be the opening scene, the shot when the opening credits roll on the film? Well, Let's go to our source material, the first two chapters of the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, 
How would you open the film in a way that captures those first two chapters? Now, I've given a lot of thought to this over the last 40 years, especially since I was studying filmmaking in college when I converted to Christianity. Here's how I'd open our epic Bible movie. We'd see a brand new universe. Galaxies, nebulas, stars, and wondrous glory. It would all be new, at peace, and good. The camera would pan down, and we would see a new earth. The sky full of birds, the seas full of fish, the earth green and fruitful, and full of beasts of every size and shape. It would all be good. The Hebrew word in Genesis is tov. And it is all at peace. The Hebrew word is shalom. And then we would zoom into man. Man is created in two persons, two natures, male and female. But they are of the same bone and flesh. And they are good. And they dwell in a beautiful place, a garden in which God visits them. And in that garden is a tree, the tree of life which sustains them in immortality. No death, no pain, no sorrow. As the camera pans and the opening music plays and the credits roll, we see that it is all tov, all good. In fact, it is very good. Because all things, called the cosmos in Greek, are at peace because they are in right relationship with each other. Right relationship between God, the creator, and his creation. Right relationship between mankind, his image on earth, and the creation. And right relationship between the man and the woman. It is all at peace, and all very, very good. Now that's the opening scene that I'd shoot. Because that's a snapshot of the first two chapters of Genesis, the first two chapters of the Bible. It's a a visual summary of its opening scenes. Okay? Got that fix in your mind? Now, how does our movie of the Bible end? What's the image while the closing music plays and the closing credits begin rolling? Well, let's go back to our source material. How does the Bible story end? How do we summarize in an image the very last two chapters of the Bible, chapters 21 and 22 of the book of Revelation? Well, we'd see a brand new universe, a new heaven, and a new earth. God has restored his creation. It is at peace, and it is very, very good. The old order of things has passed. There is no more death or mourning or pain. And God has wiped every tear from our eyes. And mankind, now an uncountable number of men and women, live in a beautiful place, expanded now from a garden into an entire city. And God not only visits this city, but he dwells in it with them. And the streets of the city are lined with the trees of life, which yield their fruit for the healing of the nations. As the camera pans and the final music plays and the credits roll, we see that it is all tov, all very good. 
very, very good, because all things, the cosmos, are at peace because they are once again in right relationship. Right relationship between God, the Creator, and His creation. Right relationship between mankind, His image on earth, and the creation. And right relationship between men and women. It is all at peace, and it is all very, very good. Now, that's the closing scene that I'd shoot, because that's a snapshot of the final two chapters of Revelation, the last two chapters of the Bible. Do you see what God did there? The Bible ends the same way it begins. The Bible's first two chapters are reflected in its last two chapters. They are parallel, literally bookends, because the word Bible is simply Greek for book. The Bible means the book, and the two ends of this book are deliberately complementary reflections of each other. Now, these parallel scenes are not an accident. It's not a coincidence. No. They are how we begin to understand the whole point of the big story of the Bible. The Bible is the story of how we get from that breathtaking opening scene to that breathtaking final scene, which is a restoration of the creation as God meant it to be. To be more specific, the story that the scriptures tell is how God brings his creation from Genesis chapters 1 and 2 to Revelation chapters 21 and 22. The Bible is the story of creation, fall, and restoration. In particular, it is the story of how God spoke a good creation into being so that it could be in right relationship with him and amongst its own parts. It's the story of how that creation was broken and fell into disorder, dis-ease, and death by the rebellion of mankind. It's the story of how the reconciliation of mankind was made possible through the incarnation, sacrifice, and resurrection of Christ, in which the author wrote himself into his own story as a character, the central character. It is the story of how, through the mediation of the church, the restoration of mankind, and the whole cosmos, has already begun, and how God will complete the restoration of the cosmos to order, health, and life. Now, all of this is consistent with the Old Testament Hebrew model of storytelling. In this model, the beginning and end of a story are often complementary pairs, and the the story moves from one to another along a peculiar narrative structure. Think of it like, like throwing a boomerang. It goes out, it turns, and it comes back. Or maybe a better image is, is maybe hitting a golf ball. At the beginning, it's at rest on the tee box. It's launched into the air, it reaches an apex, and it comes back down to rest again. But this time, 200 yards ahead, in its final place of rest, in the hole where it belongs. Now that arc from beginning to end with a defined apex or fulcrum or turning point is the Hebrew model of storytelling. So, the classic Old Testament Hebrew story begins with an opening image. The action in the story moves away from that image until it hits a crux, a turning point, and then the story moves, in a sense, back towards the end, backwards in the sense that the end is an image that reflects the opening but in a more completed form. So, 
When you study Old Testament stories, you look for these parallel passages, the the beginnings and the ends. And then you look between them for the crucial turning point, when the story begins bending back towards the ending, the final image that complements and completes the opening image. And that crux, that turning point, that fulcrum on which the story turns, that's the most important point. That's the point that God wants you to get. So, let's apply this model of Old Testament Hebrew storytelling to the big story of the Bible. As we've seen, it begins and ends with a good creation that's at peace and in right relationship with God. In the Old Testament, all of that gets shattered, and it descends into alienation from God and chaos. But God forms and works through a covenant community, Israel, to reconcile himself to the world. In the New Testament, we see that God again forms and works through a covenant community, the church, to reconcile himself to the world. And there it is, complementary opening and closing images, complementary movements of the story away from the beginning and back towards the ending. But what's the crux of the Bible story? Where's the decisive moment when the narrative begins bending back? It stops moving away from the first two chapters of Genesis and starts moving back toward the last two chapters of Revelation. Because that moment, that central episode in the story, that scene in the movie, that's the whole point of the narrative. That's the central truth of the Bible that God wants us to grasp. So, what is it? Where is it in the Bible? The turning point of the tale that the scriptures tell is God's incarnation of himself in Jesus Christ to reconcile and restore his creation. The author writes himself into his own tale. He inserts himself into his own story to become its central figure. If you had to pick one passage from the entire Bible to capture this fulcrum on which the whole story turns, what would it be? Well, I would pick two passages that capture the central point of the story that the scriptures tell. And, like the opening and closing scenes we imagined for our Bible movie, both of these passages are stunning visual images, powerful and poetic portraits that convey the central truth that God wants us to grasp from the big story that the Bible tells. Both are from the letters of St. Paul. The first is Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Paul tells us that Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That passage describes the fulcrum that the whole story turns on. God the Son in Christ Jesus humbled himself in the Incarnation. He died on the cross and he rose again. And thus, the tide was turned 
and we begin moving toward the restoration of the whole created order. The second passage I'd choose to describe the crux is from Paul's letter to the Colossians, chapter 1. Quote, The Lord Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That is the central truth, not only of the story the scriptures tell, but the central truth of the entire cosmos. That the cosmos, all things, were made through him. That he is above the cosmos, all things, and holds it together. And that the story turns upon him. Because by his blood on the cross began the reconciliation and restoration of the creation that was shattered in the first two chapters of Genesis. And that he is the beginning of a new type of redeemed humanity that will live upon the new heaven and the new earth described in the last two chapters of Revelation. Upon that passage, everything turns and finds its meaning. Do you want to know what the Bible is really about? Those two passages summarize it as powerfully as any that I can think of. Before we close, two final thoughts in this first lesson. First, in all of our talk about the stories of the Bible or the big story, in no way, shape, or form am I saying that they are merely stories or that the Bible itself is merely a story. Nothing could be further from my thoughts, beliefs, or intentions. The Bible is full of stories because it describes the working of God in history, the, the actions of people in places doing things. And, well, those are stories. And those stories were, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, gathered and recorded in well-crafted narratives. And what's even more amazing is that all of these individual stories, written over perhaps a thousand years by dozens of human authors, were directed by the Holy Spirit to form one cohesive narrative that moves from Genesis to Revelation. As a closing thought, I'd like to stress the importance of this overview tour by reflecting on what happens when we, when we fail to zoom our perspective far enough out to see the big picture. When we lose the plot, particular characters or scenes in the Bible can seem random or meaningless when they really aren't. Let me give you an example. I'm often struck by the genealogies at the beginning of Matthew's and Luke's Gospels. They list dozens of generations. Now, most of us don't bother to read those. We, we skip over them because they seem like a random list of hard-to-pronounce names that aren't mentioned anywhere else. But think about one of those people somewhere in the middle of one of those genealogies who lived centuries after the big events of the Old Testament, like, like Moses leading the people out of Egypt, and centuries before Jesus was born. Imagine how they might have seen themselves, their own life. They might have thought, I haven't contributed anything important. 
God used to do big, important things to people like Moses and King David, but nothing like that ever happens anymore. I'm, I'm just a nobody. And we, skipping over the list of names in one of those genealogies in Matthew or Luke, well, we sort of basically agree this person is kind of a nobody. Except for this. She was the great, great, great grandmother of the Christ, the God-man, the new Adam would come to rule the cosmos. Through that woman's life, through her blood and faith, everything would eventually change. Does that make her life important? Well, I would think so. But she would never know that, and we can't see that unless we step back far enough, unless we zoom out to see the big story. It can change our lives forever.